This is SciBite, episode 54, for July 17th, 2012. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast. Every new episode comes out Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. What are we talking about in today's show? Today, we're going to take a look at medical diagnostics on a disc, navigating fish, Pluto, the Lunar X Prize, spacecraft updates, and always take a peek back into history, including the Apollo 11 landing, and up in the sky this week. Oh, very cool. Well, we got yes. a lot to get to, so why don't we jump into the news? All right, what is our first news story? All right, we've got some... We've talked about some of these quick medical diagnostic things, mm-hmm. you know, that give you quick things. This is a one that's actually... Looks like a CD player almost. Oh, okay. Or like one of the old uh, GameCube. So it's like a box and it has a CD that actually spins. <laughs> so in like 15 minutes, you can get a, a comeback with, from just a drop of blood. Oh. And so essentially it's, you know, you drop put the little drop of blood on these discs, which only, by the way, cost like a couple cents to make. Hmm. They'll cost a couple pennies to make just uh, the disc part. Very nice. But so it'll have um, immunoassays. I've probably really badly pronounced that. I'm sorry, everybody in the medical field. Essentially what it is is you have a little immuno, immune cells that you know, trigger off when it sees something. So you can, so when a little bit of this blood goes in there, it sees these protein markers. You know, so it's able to indicate which one of these different ones so it can do up to 64 so you have a, up to 64 of these oh, in a little wow. cd disc so then you put the little drop of blood in and it spreads out to everything and you can get results from all these different things so you, so, get, you get a ton of data on this thing that's yeah. super cheap and you don't have to take a ton of blood to get it which is nice for yeah. me the patient yeah a little bit of blood 15 minutes and the the analysis is back mm. so i mean you know i go you know go into the doctor's office and you have to give blood then you have to wait a week for them to do it and then it takes a couple days for it to get to the doctor and then a couple days for him to be able to have a chance to call you i see as it spins it sort of shoots the the fluid down these different test tubes almost like yeah, these different conduits it, yeah like uh you know they have they have these in chemistry and in yeah. anything where yeah. it you know spins and it separates everything mm-hmm. so that's what it's doing it's it's spinning into all these different uh into all the different, you know, 64 different places. And that flashing light just adds a really cool effect. <laughs> <laughs> Probably indicating spinning glass oh. <laughs> do not stick in hand. There is blood and glass in here. You don't want any of this. <laughs> no, this is not a place your hand wants to be. Wait till it's done and it's done spinning. I just have bad news for you. I mean, and this just happens sometimes. Bad interface design happens. If something's flashing and spinning, I really want to touch it. Of course. Now, somebody like a doctor or, you know. They might know better. They might know better. Yeah, yeah. Trained professionals and all. Well, yeah. But, you know, imagine you could go in, you know, and you, they kind of know what's going on. So they take your blood, you know, at the beginning of your 
your visit, you know, and then it takes a few minutes. They have to come and take your, you know, maybe they do it when they take your blood pressure and stuff. Then mm-hmm. they you know, take a little drop of blood, go back, and in 15 minutes, they can say, oh, hey, this and this and this came up. Now, or everything's clean, you know, and they can come back with all that kind of stuff. Did you mention that it's named the Spin DX? Spin. No, I hadn't yet, but yes, it is. <laughs> That's a great name. It's awesome. <laughs> I don't, so, you know, people in the chat room were asking, uh, I saw Dream asked if it was battery powered. I don't see anything in the article that suggested it is. Did you see anything? No. Okay. I don't think so. I think it's, uh, you know, a wall yeah. plug. Of course, with any type of this thing like that, you there are options they can go through and, you know, go through a couple different phases of this and maybe make it, you know, battery operated or. Oh, sure. You know, small battery, big battery. You no, know, actually, I'm I'm watching the video. Oh, this is really hard to tell. It, it's but I don't see a power cord in the video. Look, there's no power cord on this thing. Well, it could be in parts of the video. They're working on it. So sometimes when we're working on something, it may not. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what parts have it spinning or whether there's something that they can kind of, you know, a button that they can press inside to kind of spin it just it a is, little. It's hard to tell at this stage because it's not a production unit. Yeah, there's not really that. But the fact that the discs only cost a couple pennies was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could essentially manufacture these, you know, this is the the cardio discs. This is the, you know, oh, immune yeah. discs. So they can just, so your doctor can be like, all right, this is the one we need to test. You know, you go in, you know, somebody goes in for, you know, a heart attack or something like that. Then drop of blood comes right back. They can get all sorts of data about, about what's going on. You know, very simple, very quick. Um, another one of the things that they they talked about was botulism. Now, it's pretty rare, only about, I mean, less than 150 cases reported in the U.S. Mm-hmm. last year. Mm. But it's so lethal that it's kind of a worry. It's a worry that what happens if there's a breakout? What happens if, you know, there's parts of the the system that go, what if there was a bioterrorist? So you know, something... So you're thinking like uh, something that's as cheap as this, it's going to be much easier to do it, like some sort of mass deployment? Yeah, so they, they've said this is part of it. They, they've actually talked about this in, in an article about it saying, hey, this is, you know, 15 minutes and we can get analysis on anybody about. So anywhere, you know, there's a breakout of something, hmm. you know, a flu or anything like that, and you have the emergency room inundated with everybody that has allergies to sniffles to something more serious and so you know you can put drops of blood and in 15 minutes you can say you know all right these are obvious allergy people go back home and take your claritin um or whatever you take and these are the people that are kind of worrisome so you know 15 minutes and you can say all right these are the people that go over here everyone else can go home yeah you know, it's there's a lot of there's interesting uh, too. Just well, while you're still talking about the cost and how it's easy to deploy, yeah. um, there's an interview in uh, the uh, fizz.org article here. Fizz.org, I pronounce it, and he says mm-hmm. that uh, food processing plants are look are looking yes. for something that can be integrated into their assembly lines, and so yeah. their devices being cheap and fast would be and and also another kind of important part, simple to operate. So there's not like a big yeah. training curve to get their you know the food processing plant employees to use it. Yeah. So. You know, you have the big process, you know, in that kind of a system. Then mm-hmm. maybe you have, you know, samples coming every so often at one part of the plant. Yeah. And then if something triggers, then you have to figure out where in the line there was yeah. contamination. But wouldn't, it be great, that. but wouldn't it be great to catch it there before it even ships? Yeah. So, I mean, 
15 minutes, you know, one end of the production to the other and they know. Yeah. So, you know, do it in, you can have it in batches or, you know, or a straight line and you have to, the speed of this and the ability to analyze so many different pieces just so easily has a lot of potential there. And yeah. I mean, you could see in the video um, that, you know, it is a unit. It looks production valid, production ready, sort of. I mean, it looks yeah, very. Yeah, definitely the demos you see uh, that we watched. Yeah, it looks. Yeah, it's got covers and things, and so it's, you know, it's a little bit past the the real R and D stage, you know, the duct tape and, you know, MacGyvering it. No, they're past that. We're we're getting we're getting ready to start manufacturing. We want to get people yeah. excited. That's where they're at. So, we're at that stage. Yeah. So, I'm pretty excited about the fact that it looks so close, and I can't wait to see how quickly it can deploy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, so, that's neat. Yeah. And you think about it too, like uh, <clears throat> these could things like this could become commonplace by the time my son and my daughter are my age, where like mm-hmm. some things we struggle with now could be completely non-issues because they could be caught so much early in the chain of goods or whatever it is, uh, yeah. or or things can be identified so much faster by medical uh, you know, doctors. Mm-hmm. It's just boy, I mean, this could be. Yeah, you as- can have. I mean, there's white blood cell counts and protein markers and all these kind of things, and there's. There's a lot of different, you know, what's going on. And there's this one. There was the one we talked about a few weeks, maybe a month or so back, where it's, you know, you blow in the box and then it lights up saying, hey, we've triggered something. Right. You know, so there's all these small, portable, quick things that are coming yeah. that's yeah. kind of exciting that you're like, well. I wonder too, like they say the Spin DX uh, results can be delivered to the physician's computer in 15 minutes. I yeah. would like to know more information about like how that's transmitted because if it's, this is just going out there, but yeah. if you could have these things working in some sort of, you know, assuming all of the patient's medical data was totally protected, all HIPAA compliant, if you yeah. could have these things sort of develop databases about the things they find so they could identify things even quicker, so they could almost, yeah. I mean, that would be so neat. Or, I mean, just being able to deliver the results directly to the doctor, you know, takes out mm-hmm. a, la- a, a layer of human error where maybe they give the wrong results to the wrong you know, clipboard. This, this, even yeah. having just that is nice, but really, that seems like okay. That's step one, but step two mm-hmm. is something maybe much bigger than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, bringing in that case, it reminds me. There's what about rural locations or you know, third world, second world type places where you can get the results there, and then you can ship them to somebody by you know, electronically, you know, to a doctor wherever possibly. And then they can look at the results and kind of give a more detailed analysis about what's going on. Yeah. Hmm. So what do you think, Heather? When do you think we'll start seeing these? Oh, goodness only knows. <laughs> you don't have a guess? I'd say... Oh, anything medical, I never have a guess. i say when you see something like this, though, it's actually going to be at least something we end up seeing. Well, yeah, we'll we'll see it in our lifetime. Yeah, yeah I'll, you'll, you'll, I'll go. I'll make that bet, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that one? No, I don't think so. All right. Well, why don't we take... A quick second, and just mention really quickly, we actually did bring this up recently, but uh, of course everyone out there knows that the shows that don't have main sponsors in them, like a GoDaddy or a FreshBooks or a Good Old Games, uh, then that means it's uh, sponsored by the audience. And uh, one way to do that is through our affiliate programs. We have links at the bottom of Jupiter Broadcasting. You can click before you shop. But I wanted to make a suggestion, because I have I think I talked about this last week, right, Heather? But uh, yeah. the uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 Blu-ray ships on July 
24th. All right, so we're oh, recording yes. this on the 17th, so that means next Tuesday it ships. And this, yes. you guys, I got the uh, teaser one where they had like three episodes on there. It looks oh, yeah. so good. But maybe maybe you're not a Trekkie. Maybe you're more of a gamer. Okay. So I'll, we'll give you another Amazon pick that if, by the way, if you pick these up, you help fund the show. Uh, Guild Wars 2. Guild Wars yes. 2 pre-order is in effect right now. And Heather, it's a good reason to pre-order. Why? Yeah, this uh, if you pre-order, you get access to the beta weekends. And this weekend is the last beta weekend. You also get the uh, early access. That's mm-hmm. three days for this one. Early, so can, early access is nice because you get a li- yes. well, maybe a little bit of an edge. I don't know. Well, you, you have some time to kind of get the character names or you know make your yeah. character look exactly how you want. Kind of yeah. run yeah. around the world, get an idea. Take your time. Yeah, very cool. So Guild Wars 2, man, is the buzz. Boy, is there a lot of buzz yes. in Guild Wars 2. Oh, uh, yes. It's like 60 bucks if you pre-order. or boy, They even have a collector's edition, 150 Holy cow. That's yep. got to be if you're hardcore. Uh, but me, uh, if I have any extra pennies, I'm spending on Star Trek Next Generation Season 1 Blu-ray. Because I saw, uh, I saw the... Uh, the thing I was the most surprised about, it wasn't just that I'm a huge geek and I got goosebumps when I saw the Enterprise in Blu-ray, which I totally was... Uh-huh. Mr. Skeptical Pants didn't think I was going to be impressed by it at all. I was like, oh, come on. You know, I've seen CG redone before. Come on. I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't believe what I got. Not only did I get goosebumps, but the sound, the audio is so much better. The audio oh, yeah. is so much better. It's a treat. So anyways, links to those will be in the show notes. If you want to grab those to support the show, of course, that would be rocking. We appreciate it. All yes. right, Heather, with all of that out of the way, let's move on to the news bite. Fish and magnetic fields. That is right. <laughs> what is this about? Okay, rainbow trout. These are the ones, you know, oh, they yeah. go way far away. They can spend three years going out to sea, and then they can travel up to 186 miles, coming back to the exact location where they spawned. I spent many years of my childhood growing up on a lake that was very heavily populated with rainbow trout. Okay. They're beautiful. Oh, yeah. So... There's some ideas, you know, that they can use eyesight and smell to get back to where they, they wanted to go. But also, the Earth's magnetic fields. No way. Yeah, so they, the, they've kind of thought about this for a while. But now scientists have actually isolated the magnetic cells in the fish that respond to magnetic fields. So the fish have, like, something in their actual cells that is magnetic? Yes, that can tell, like a compass, that can tell which way is north. Like, and it, they just, actually, like it almost at a cellular level, cellular level aligns their whole body that way, it pulls them. <laughs> <laughs> Not the whole body. Huh. Like, like, like I was saying, maybe there's a little, you know, you have your car and you have a little compass on the car. Yeah, okay. It's just kind of so telling not, you which direction. Uh, it's not all cells, okay. Yeah, so there's a little bit of cells. So they're able to pull some of them out, that they thought, put it in a little... uh dish rotated in a magnetic field and they were actually able to see certain cells line up with that so they've pulled those out for further study but what was interesting is that they were a hundred times more sensitive than they thought they were going to be that's i am so, i'm literally i have no words i am totally yeah. clumped by this this is incredible so so the the idea is they ha- could have su- to be able to detect such small difference in the magnetic field that it could deal really detailed information of where they are. I mean, down to latitude, longitude. You they are can... screwing with me right now. No, I'm totally not. <laughs> These fish at a cellular level 
can get as accurate as as we can get with latitude and longitude. I'm all I'm all just messed up now. Longitude yeah. and latitude. This is yeah. This they is. they they have less chance of getting lost than you and me. Wow. Because you know you they. Know, what really blows me away about this, not that this doesn't make incredible sense, and it's kind oh, of yeah. amazing how it works, but I'm just trying to think of the evolutionary process that led to the fish having this and, and how that worked because what an incredible ability for them to be able to have and how essential it is it to the exact way that they operate. It's really, they're, they're pretty lucky that they got that. <laughs> Emperor Child, are the way they are, they were made in this way mm-hmm. so that it's interesting that they, the amount of sensitivity that they have. Yeah. That they were given is just very. I found it really interesting that down to the fact that they could get, you know, so close, and they would, it would make more sense because they can get so far away and come back, and so they can get down to the latitude, longitude, and then maybe they do have. I mean, they have excellent eyesight and smell. They can kind of get closer into where they want to be. I actually thought they always just did it with yeah that. Well, there've been some ideas that they used magnetic fields, but now they've actually been able to. Mm-hmm isolate those cells now let's get some uh, cross-pollination of that dna into uh, future humans so that way humans have this ability no no oh. no cool i'd love to no. imagine how, what, what a great sense of direction you'd have don't mess with life all right why are you gonna poke humans? I ha- well because i want it i'll take i'll take the magnetic ability from the no. fish and i'll take no oh okay. no i thought maybe i was gonna get like a menu and just choose no oh well, uh, yeah, that makes an aquarium. I wonder if other fish have this. Have they? Do you know if they looked? If they just only well, checked here? They've only checked here so far, but there's an idea that there are, you know, birds and various things that are able to, you know, follow specific treks and go back to specific places. So the idea is that maybe multiple multiple species were given this ability, and so they're kind of once they have this, now they're going to look in other places for it. Yeah. Very cool, and uh, just another way that uh, you think you, you think you know everything about things like subjects, like really, like rainbow fish. No. I'm like, what is she going to tell me about rainbow fish? I don't know. I rainbow trout. Rainbow yeah, trout. They, they make, yeah, they, they make it those. back where it, you know they make it back to their nursery, but now, yeah, they use sights like and jerk. smells and magnetic fields. I mean, I can't even I can't even count how many rainbow trout I've probably. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I can cook a good trout. That's all I'm saying. That's all. I'm saying. Uh, well, any thoughts on that one? No, I think not. All right. Well, why don't we talk uh, a little uh, plutonium system? What is this? Plutonium system grows. Plutonium system. Pluto. Plutonium. Oh, oh, Pluto. I misread it. A little tiny. That's font. okay. That's right. okay. So this sounds this sounds good. All right. Yeah. Got, got uh, another member of the club. Yep. Almost a year to the day. After Hubble spotted Pluto's fourth moon, it's now discovered a fifth moon. Huh. It's about half as bright as the last one discovered. They have, you know, five different occasions that they were actually able to take these images. There's some info in the show notes about, you know, specific sizes of these, you know, and how, you know, how long across they are when they were discovered. But what's, it seems cool until you remember we have the New Horizons spacecraft heading to Pluto. And some people go, hey, cool, another thing to look at. 
No, it just indicates that the system is more and more complex. So now the New Horizons mission team is working with Hubble because they have to find a safe way to navigate through this system. Oh, yeah. So they're trying to look as closely as they can. You know, the more and more of these they find, they're like, okay, there's there's more stuff than we want to have to deal with flying through it. So let's keep analyzing, keep trying to, you know, note down all the orbits of this so we can kind of tweak you know, they're far enough away that they can kind of tweak the orbit just to, they can tweak the spacecraft's approach approach to through the system mm-hmm. and how that's going to happen and try to make it as safe as possible. A little more crowded than they expected. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Pluto's rocking it for not being a planet. I mean, it's, really. it's a dwarf planet. In just about every way possible, mm-hmm. we just keep hearing about more cool stuff that Pluto's got going. I mean... I'm, well, we've got... We've got a spacecraft heading there. I mean, in my so opinion right now... There's for a lot our, of stuff that we're looking at. I just think for our solar system, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, Pluto's doing more for us than Venus does, or... <laughs> really, I mean, Uranus doesn't do anything for us. Pluto, I, I just... Blows me away. All Pluto's right. not doing anything except hanging around. Oh, it's getting, it's getting this new attention. It's got a well, spacecraft yeah, on its way. I mean, like I said, you got the spacecraft heading out there, so you get a lot of attention about what's going on. It's all right. It's just, I think... Uh, I think uh, I just feel bad for Pluto. All right. Well, why don't we talk? Unless you're not. Any any other thoughts on that? No, it's okay. All right. Okay. So uh, the Lunar X Prize. I know you have an entry in the show notes for this one. Tell me about this. Yeah. The Google Lunar X Prize. And we're just talking about, you know, the X Prize itself. But there's actually a Lunar X Prize as Ah, well. Okay. $30 billion international challenge. Lander robot. $30 million. $30 million. Lander robot on the moon. Travel at least 16,000 feet. Send data, send images back to the Earth. You know, first place gets $20 million, and then there's various other prizes for various accomplishments. Um, the new news about this is that an engineering director for the Google Books project, uh, Jimmy Crawford, has now signed on with one of the major players in this, the Moon Express. Hmm. So he's going to serve as a chief technologi- technology officer to uh, for this uh for this, sorry, mission, for the whatever you want yeah to for it. the mission for the Moon Express project. Yeah, that's awesome. And it'll go till all prizes are claimed or the end of 2015. You know, whatever happens first. Oh, but, really? So, uh, um, boy, have you heard anything? Uh, getting closer. Quite a few of these are kind of aiming up and getting closer and closer. So we'll. I'm. Are we surprised if we see anything before 2013? Most likely it'll be 2014, 2015 that we see this stuff happening. I mean, actively launching and looking at this stuff. Gosh, this would be neat. Oh, yeah. It'd be, you know, another one of these at the private industry. You know, we've got it, you know, the ability to deliver stuff to the space station now. Uh, SpaceX, we're going to talk about here in a, uh, in a few minutes, about other kind of stuff they're doing. So all this kind of private industry stuff moving forward is incredibly interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully, will become a sustainable way to get out there. That's yes. really. I, I think that's maybe the end. The most important end goal I could think is um, maybe they can maybe they can do it where uh, um, the government really hasn't so much. At least you know in yeah. ter- in terms of ways that uh, are really going to make it more approachable for yeah for average. Because I saw one project that was trying to get a little of a billing possibly with average Joe or Jane trying to get them to give a little money by saying, hey, donate this amount 
and we will send a little bit of your DNA to the moon. Sounds like a Kickstarter. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> hmm. Well, you never know. Maybe we'll see that yeah. on Kickstarter soon. Uh, uh-oh, Heather. <laughs> uh-oh. I've got a red light flashing right here on my board. Should I hit oh. it? You ready? Okay. Okay. Oh, of course. It's the spacecraft oh, update. Oh, sci-fi computer. What yes. is the uh, first story in the spacecraft update today? All righty. The Expedition 32 crew up on the space station has gotten three new veteran space travelers. Oh. Uh, we uh, landed a few of them. I believe we talked about it uh, last week or the week before. They've got three new astronauts that came up. About all three of them have been in space before. Uh, NASA astronaut, Russian cosmonaut, and uh, Japanese aerospace exploration agency space flyer. Um, these people have done... You know, one of them has done third trips, a couple of long missions. Uh, the uh, J- Japanese astronaut was part of uh, delivering the the Kibo laborator- laboratory module in the International Space Station. There's a big, uh, there's a really large uh, science station there that was there. Um, the female astronaut was actually the hmm. still holds the world record for most spacewalks by a woman and the most time in space by a, by a woman. Oh, that's neat. So you got some real vets up there. Yep, some real vets, but it just seems... a couple more. We've uh, rounded back out the crew to uh, six again. I uh, I was giggling because um, if you're watching the enhanced version of this show, um, mm-hmm. the guy in the middle has just the most outrageous hair. And I realized how <laughs> great my hair potential could be if I ever got a chance to be in weight, you know, zero G. Um, yeah, because it'd still look good. It would be, but I think... You know, but it could float a little bit. Like it kind of open up. Oh. I, think, I think it could open up. I, I really like that guy. You get hair. some volume. Yeah, I really like that guy. <laughs> and I just realized it's just gravity that's holding my hair down. That's all. Just gravity yeah. holding me down. Yeah, some of the some of the the hair you have to kind of tie up, or it gets a little Einsteiny. <laughs> they can't help it. It's kind of adorable. Um. <laughs> all right. Well, we got a uh, another spacecraft here. We need to do a little update on, don't we? We do. Dragon. We saw Ava. SpaceX is still, you know, delivered to the space station now, and now they're kind of moving forward. They have a manned version that's sort of the next step. Oh, okay. And they've actually, um, NASA announced that they've passed a key design review. So it's a, a major step closer to being able to get it um, approved by NASA. Mm. So they've, you know, they gave them all the details. They looked they, at all the plans and said, okay, that looks yep, sound. said, all right, this is the docking capabilities, the living arrangements, the all the requirements uh, for ground landings because, like I said, this thing lands again. So, you know, how would it land with astronauts? I like it. So, so they call it Dragon. Am I getting this right? They call it Dragon Crew? Uh, yeah, the Dragon Crew. It's going to be uh, the... They have also have uh, launcher board systems. So any emergencies happen at various locations. So it's... Oh, it's all really? of these type of things. Yep, they've got it so that they, what happens if something happens during liftoff? What happens if something happens on your way to orbit or oh. in orbit on the way back home? There's all these contingencies you have to, to work through. And so they're, they've got all these, you know, all these systems laid out and they're kind of going through one step at oh. a time being able to get uh, design reviews from NASA. And they've now reached a, a pretty major one. So That is really cool. Look at these guys go, Heather. I know. They're just, I mean, they're just not missing a beat. They just, you know, they got up there, they did their thing, they docked, and you thought, okay, yep. they're going to be quiet for a while, but nope, they're still nope. rocking it. That's Yeah, that was, it's just sort of a stepping stone on the way. They've got, I mean, they have images of going all the way to Mars. 
you know, they've, they've talked about it. They're like, yeah, they have, you know, images online about what it would look like. And it's a little dragon. It's got little feet. You know, so it's like a little landing stanchions. Huh. It's like, look, we're going to land. It's all going to be cool. And you're all going to be jealous. <laughs> well, and I will. more power to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm ready to be jealous, though. I'm ready. Oh, yes. I'm okay with that. That's a jealous I'm ready for. That's okay. Uh, should we jump in the time machine? Let's jump. All right, get in here and close the door. Here we go. Okay, here Lock we go. It. Here we go. It's locked. Oh, a nice, pleasant ride. Ah, yeah. not so bad. In fact, uh, yeah. it feels pretty hip right now, man. I feel like I want to boogie because it's 1969, July 21st, 43 years ago. That is right. One small step for man. That is right. This week is the anniversary of the Apollo 11 astronauts oh landing gosh. on the surface of the moon. Wow. Yes. Wow. What? What? Uh, how many years? 43, was it? Or 43 years. 43. 43. So they launched on the 16th. So that was uh, yesterday, bef- the day before we uh, filmed this. Wow. And then they landed on the moon on the 20th. Uh, later that day, they were able to step on to the surface, and then they had, they were only on the surface of the moon. They were able to uh, hang out outside the spacecraft for two and a half hours. That seems like such a ripoff, but, you know, I understand. They that- were on the surface of the moon for less than a day. But there are so many things about this that were incredibly crazy. I mean, a lot of people know that... You know, they, they always say, you know, hey, they landed with only 20 seconds of fuel left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did. Uh, one of the reasons, well, there's a whole bunch of different reasons, but when they separated from the orbiter, you know, uh, poor Collins, Michael Collins was sitting in the the orbiter, you know, mm. just orbiting the moon. I know. Jeez, how lonely. Incredibly lonely. He, on a side note, he was so afraid. He said his biggest fear of the whole thing was that he would have to come back alone. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, going there, they, in the end, they've admitted that they kind of gave themselves a 50-50 chance of coming back. Oh, absolutely. But you, of course, would take that chance, but. uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, Nixon had speeches ready for if something happened. I saw that. Yeah, he's like, here's the, here's the everything worked well speech. Here's the this happened not well speech. And it was very heroic, very, you know, very oh, yeah. travelers, uh, you know, travelers always risk this kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, he, if you think about it, Michael Collins, he was on the backside of the moon, no contact with humanity at all it for would, each orbit on the backside of the moon. That would almost seem like it could potentially be a life changing event. Yeah. He was sitting there and he's like, imagine you have no contact with any other human being in the entire universe. It's dark. And it's dark. Well, you know, there's there's sunlight shining yeah. in. Oh, but, oh, I thought you meant. Okay, I thought I thought you meant he went to oh, the, the dark. Da- I called it's the dark side of the moon, quote unquote, mm-hmm. because it's the back half of the moon. Right. Okay. That we never see. You know, we always see one side. Right. Right. So he's orbiting the moon, and at that point, he is the farthest human being away from the Earth. Yeah. Because he's he's orbiting around the moon. He became. And he can't radio yeah. back, right? Because the moon's blocking the signal. Yeah. So he was able to contact during part of each orbit. Yeah. But not for the other half. And, I mean, look at your cell phone. Everybody look at your cell phone. There's more computing power there than got us to the moon. Oh, yeah. Than was in the entire lunar module. And, 
you know, it's just crazy because um, when they went out to, you know, walk on the surface of the moon, it wasn't quite one small step. He actually had to leap like three and a half feet. Right, right. I'll back that up because I do have a little clip of that here. Yeah, he had, he had to take a bit of a jump, didn't he? Yeah, he had to take a bit of a jump to get down. Well, they weren't sure about how how dusty the surface of the moon was. So they had really long feet just in case it was going to sink into the dust, which they thought it would. So he kind of sounded, there's the end of the ladder, and he's like, okay, here we go. Whee! Yeah, so it doesn't look like it's collapsed too far. He's checking out how far it's indented. So one medium leap for for a man but yeah a small step in, in comparison <laughs> <laughs> you're like all right woo. Huh. but you know so he gets out and he's he's doing it and then um you know buzz aldrin gets out and he actually had to take very much care not to close the door because there was no external handle you're kidding me there was not a single handle on the outside. So he's like getting out. He's being really careful. Just kind of letting the jar, the door sit ajar. Why did they not have a handle? Would it catch on something or what? I mean, oh, that- catch on something. It's reentry and oh. there's a whole bunch of different things going on, but they didn't have a handle on the outside. So their cabin must have sat depressurized while they were out, 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 out and about. Yep. They, once they hopped into there, it, you know, that was it. They were in their spacesuits. Because hmm. like, so, you could see like the they, movie scene where they're rushing back to the cabin because there's a leak in a suit and they jump in, they close the door and they can breathe. But no, it's not going to happen. Not in real life. Not quite that way. I think they may have had an ability to repressurize. But when they separated from the orbiter, there, was, there wasn't quite the proper uh, deep pressurization as there should have been. And that blew their landing off about four miles. Mm. Just there. So when they were coming down, they only had 20 seconds of fuel left because Neil Armstrong was piling it down. He saw a, a boulder field where they were going to end up landing. And so he kept trying to keep them aloft long enough to get into a flatter plane so that he felt more comfortable with being able to set down. The best thing about going back now would be much better quality pictures. Yeah. Un- <laughs> Oh goodness! Unfortunately, they the images that were broadcast to the U.S. were actually the direct line of sight images were sent to uh, one of the dishes in Australia, mm-hmm. and then they had a camera pointed at their screen, and that got sent to the U.S. Yeah, and some people may have heard the original films were actually written over. So what we have is the recording from. The computer pointed, or from the from the, ca- the, camera, from the camera pointed at a screen. At a screen. Mm-hmm. So that is very, very unfortunate. Yeah. But um, less people have heard about their, you know, shuffling around in the, you know, in the, in the lander, and Buzz Aldrin actually bumped into a bumped into something, ended up knocking free a circuit breaker. And they had to use a felt tip pen to push it back in. What? And this this was part of the launch system. They would not have been able to take off from the moon without a felt tip pen. <laughs> a felt tip pen saved these guys. Uh, <laughs> I am dead serious. You know, you, you got to have uh, very mission critical tools for jobs like this, Heather. 
you have to have people with very much imagination to be able to deal with these things. Yeah. And, I mean, things they never thought they would have to deal with. They they thought it was going to be really soft surface, but it, it wasn't. Obviously, it was, it had dust, mm-hmm. but the dust itself is like tiny bits of glass because of, of the way it is. There's so many impacts over the, the course of the moon's lifetime that... It's like tiny, big, tiny bits of glass. So they had these, you know, where they had some dust you know, that they packaged up in sealed containers and it just ripped through the ceiling. You know, you see the them walking around and any of the clips of any of the astronauts, not too long after they're walking, they're just covered in gray dust. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And the, you know, breathing it, not so good either. Oh, they're kind of just looking so. at the, I mean, tiny bits of glass. They've been looking at the health, monitoring the health of those astronauts. But, you know, they kind of indicated they're like, hey, it's it smells like gunpowder. Really? Well, that's that's how they, that's how they kind of talked about it, how it kind of smelled. But, it, you know, so is isn't was just breathing that was a little bit kind of quasi-dangerous and you know that it went through all the the seals that they had because they they couldn't seal against that just sliced up all the sliced that all up wow and you know when they land you know when they first landed you know it's like houston tranquility base here the eagle has landed right that was the first time neil armstrong had ever used tranquility base in all of the practice runs in everything, it was the Eagle. Eagle base? Uh, it was the Eagle Lander. Oh, okay. So why did it change? He changed it. You know, I, I've never seen an accurate description about why he said. He is very much a recluse. He's not really done much of anything in the public. Very rarely will he do it. I Twittered a while back about how he actually... Neil Armstrong actually gave an interview to um, an Australian uh, media uh, associate, I believe. Mm-hmm. Buzz Aldrin is out a lot. Um, Michael Collins goes out sometimes, but Neil Armstrong very rarely. But So I'm not quite sure. There may be an explanation that he's given, but I'm not quite sure. I don't know it. Wasn't it but something about... Uh... They landed in the Tranquility Basin. Yeah. That's where they landed. It was... It was that. So that's that's a good possibility that that's why. It's just that he'd never used that. So you kind of hear, you know, Tranquility Beast here, the eagle has landed, and there's a few seconds of silence. And then Richard yeah. was like, uh, yeah, it's good to hear from you, Tr- Tranquility Beast. There's yeah. a lot of people that aren't turning blue anymore. And the reason they paused, well, part of it was because they were all kind of shocked. They're like, um. Did he just change it? Uh, <laughs> he just changed it. And then they kind of like, Trend, like, um, do you like? Do you know how hard we work on these names, Buzz? <laughs> like Neil, what are you doing? We're we're happy you got there alive, but what are you doing? Well, maybe he just figured it needed a new name since it had a new landing spot. Maybe so. Well, you know, uh, when uh, when you are uh, Buzz Aldrin, you can do that. Well, that was Neil Armstrong. That oh, did Neil it. Armstrong. Yeah. Okay, Neil. You're Neil Armstrong. You can do that. Yeah, when you're when you're one of the first two guys on the moon, you you can you can do what you yeah, want. Kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So that was forty three years ago. Yep. They uh, what left a week some that stuff must on, have been. Oh yeah, they left some stuff on the surface of the moon too. They weren't too 
they're too long, but they left a, a patch from Apollo uh, 1 where they had a couple of astronauts lost. They had some medals commemorating uh, some Soviet cosmonauts that were lost, mm. including uh, Yuri Gagarin. Uh, had goodwill messages from 73 world leaders, um, a pin that had uh, with a little olive branch, you know, gold pin and olive branch for you know, symbols of peace. Hmm. What a lot of people don't realize is when they came back, they landed on, you know, they splashed down yeah. and they went straight into quarantine. Yeah. They spent three weeks in a little yeah. mobile bubble. I mean, Richard Nixon comes and, and tries to greet them, and it's like a little silver trailer that kind of opened the curtains. He's like, hi, good job. And they're like waving out from a little window. I see. I, I've seen that photo. Yeah. It's, or something it's like because that. they really weren't sure about there were, if there were yeah. going to be any germs or something else going on. Mm-hmm. They're like, all right, we're really not sure. So a couple of the uh, Apollo missions actually had to spend a couple weeks in quarantine before they were allowed to interact with anybody. Yeah, but then they simmered down about that. Right? Well, yeah, then they kind of realized. And then they took a couple and they're like, all right, it, it looks pretty clear. The rest of you guys are you're getting out a little bit lucky. And they kind of were like, yeah, I mean, what, what really could live out there? Well, you know, it took them a little bit to, to make sure. I think they would rather be sure. Oh, I you mean, have a video of a, oh my gosh. P- folks, you got to check out the show notes Heather did for, for this one. This is a treat. Heather has a ton of classic footage. And here's the shot of, of Nixon oh, waving to the uh, yeah. guys in the trailer. I love finding that clip. It's like they had little curtains and they're just like, kunk, kunk. Oh, hi. Yeah. Babe. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. There's so many great uh, They actually videos. had a little trouble getting the curtain open at first. <laughs> they were like, uh, um, which way? Okay, there we go. Yeah. Yep. Like, all right, let's 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 make sure that we're not blocking off the, the president. Make sure it's nice, clear view. <laughs> well, uh, you have uh, you have some great links uh, for this. I'm going to check these out. Uh, you, have, uh, you have the launch, the landing on the moon, the landing back on Earth in here. Uh, just some really good stuff, plus uh, an image gallery. Wow. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff there in the show notes for pictures and all sorts of pretties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, geez. Well, that was a great looking back. I got to say, anything, anything, yeah. anything else before we go on? Always bring a felt tip pin to the moon. There you go. That's 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 the SciBite Pro Tip of the Week. All right, then. Well, let me yep. retune the SciBite computer so we can look up into the sky. All righty. This week, it's not going to be a big week. But about an hour before sunrise, you're going to have uh, Jupiter and Venus. They're a little bit higher in the eastern sky than they have been. Huh. Uh, Venus is the brighter of the two. Jupiter is the higher in the hor- in the sky. Uh, really low on the horizon in the east, you'll see a red object. It is actually a red giant star called Betelgeuse. So, yeah, Jupiter and Venus up high, down low. Not Mars, but the red giant star Betelgeuse in the constellation of Orion. Not bad. It's going to start rising soon. So, again, that red dot won't be Mars. Nope, not Mars. It is a star. Yeah, that's a pretty good star, i got to say. Yep. Uh, the star choices. I like that one. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our whole show, isn't it? I think so. Good show, Heather. Thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning into this week's episode of SciBite. I mentioned at the top of the show that SciBite comes out Wednesday mornings over at Jupiter Broadcasting, but we're also live Tuesday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv. And, uh, of course, we always encourage you to visit the show notes, take advantage of some of the great links and extra notes that Heather's put in there. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of SciBite. We'll see you right back here next week.